as the choir is making their way back to their seats, uh, I will now dismiss Children's Church. So if there are any children here in the sanctuary, you can make your way over to Pastor Amy over here to my left at this time. And I want to begin this morning by saying thank you that you're here. And uh, I appreciate that all of that who have made the effort this morning because I know when I woke up this morning and I saw all the fog and all the gloom, it was really, really hard to get out of bed. And it's really, really been hard to get out of bed this past probably two weeks ever since it's not, it don't get as bright as it normally does in the mornings. And so it's a little bit darker in the mornings, the, uh, the, the nighttime lasts a little bit longer and so... Uh, thank you. Thank you for the ones joining us online. I, I, uh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here worshiping, worshiping with us this morning. And I also would like to say that um, I had to sign a contract for me to be able to preach again this morning. Uh, supposedly, somebody uh, said last time that I preached for too long. Um, so I signed the contract with Pastor Mike and uh, the rest of the staff that I wouldn't go over this allotted minutes. And so... I only have five minutes left. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, where do I go from there? Uh, but no, yeah, uh, this morning is, I hope, is an encouraging sermon for you. It's, uh, it's short and sweet and, and simple, but uh, most of the times we forget the simple things in our everyday today, and um, things start clouding our judgment, and we can barely see five feet in front of us. And so it's good to be reminded of the simple things. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I am kicking off a new series this morning uh, entitled God Is. Uh, so I have the privilege of kicking this off. And it's basically for the next couple of weeks where we'll be going and uh, talking about exactly who God is, right? We know God is love, right? We hear that. We know God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere. He is present everywhere at all times. God is sovereign, right? God is merciful, God's graceful. These are the things that we use to describe God. And a lot of times, though, we like to uh, keep our Bibles closed, and we like to, to make God into our own image a lot of times. And so we let our presuppositions and our opinions and the culture around us to describe God. But no, we already have a book that describes him, and describes him very, very well, which we will look to this morning, Okay. And I want to prod your mind for a minute this morning by asking you a question, or two questions, really. And the question is, did you know there has never been a time when anything was unknown to God? Do you know there will never, ever be a time when he will not possess full, perfect, and absolute knowledge? This means that God cannot learn. Sounds tricky, right, to say God cannot do something. Isn't that an odd and at the same time an amazing thought that we serve a God who's omniscient, he's all-knowing. He's all God knows all things, and he cannot learn anything about anyone or anything because he already knows it through and through, inside and out, he knows it. Now, just imagine the opposite for a moment. Imagine the opposite of that. Imagine if God could receive some information into his mind, a knowledge that he hadn't possessed from all eternity, that he could learn something. 
Imagine God sitting at the feet of another, a teacher, learning something that the most intelligent mind never, ever knew. Imagine that. Okay, you can quit imagining it because it's impossible. So it was a trick. So go ahead and stop. He knows better than anything or anyone else. He knows everything equally well. He can never discover anything because he knows everything. He can never be surprised. God is never amazed. God never sits in wonder. That's what I want to encourage you with this morning. As a God we serve, the God of the Bible, he is never in wonder. He's never amazed by our actions, by the, by, the, the, by the world around us. He holds the whole world in his hands. I think John Wesley said it best. If you don't know John Wesley, he's, uh, of course, our founding father of the, of the Wesleyan church, and we like to thank, we like to thank everything has, uh, has come from him as far as uh, the foundation of the Wesleyan church. And he said it best this way. He said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man. Then I will show you a man that can comprehend God. See, that's what I want to get at this morning is this knowledge of God, this, this wisdom of God, this all-knowingness of God. And, and it might become redundant but before the very end, but I want to uh, engrave it in your brain that God knows everything inside and out, and especially you. Especially you. He created you on purpose and for a purpose. If you will, turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 11. We'll be in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. And while you're turning there, and before we dive into this piece of scripture, I want to go over a quick theology lesson. And you might be wondering, theology at nine o'clock in the morning, you gotta be kidding me. All right, but it's quick, okay? I promise, I just, I just gotta get this out the way. Uh, and I gotta challenge you a little bit, okay? I gotta challenge you. I gotta feed you some meat a little bit here this morning. So have you ever heard of something called the incommunicable and communicable attributes of God? The incommunicable and communicable attributes of God. So this is Theology 101, okay? This is something I learned in my first week in theology class during my time at SWOO, all right? I'm gonna give it to you short and sweet, simple and plain, uh, so don't miss it, because here it goes. So the, commu- the incommunicable attributes of God are those that belong to God alone. These are attributes that belong to God alone. His omniscience, his transcendence, his omnipotence, his sovereignty. These are attributes that we cannot and will not ever possess. They're God's and God's alone. Whereas the communicable attributes of God are those that we also can possess, right? Such as knowledge. We have knowledge, at least some of us do. <laughs> we have, we love, right? We have, we have mercy, compassion, grace. These are attributes that we can possess as well. However, we fail, we have, uh, have, we have to realize that all of our, our discussions about God about God's attributes are inadequate. They will always be inadequate. Though we can never, uh, though we can understand the concept of omnipresence, right? Everywhere at all times, we cannot experience it ourselves. I would like to. 
Therefore, our understanding of a God and his attributes is woefully insufficient. But that doesn't mean we can't know things about him. Still, we are seeking to fathom the depths of the knowability of God. And this can obviously be problematic, right? He is infinite. And we are just finite or finite. So you got it? That's your theology lesson for this morning or for the month. I don't know what you study or what you do, but there you go. All right, so we'll dive into Scripture this morning. Romans 11, verses 33 through 36, all right? And the Apostle Paul writes this. This is what he writes. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. Oh, impossible it is for us to understand his decision and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. This is the Apostle Paul and uh, the the, uh, version here that I'm reading from is the New Living Translation here. I like how the the NLT uh, puts this um, pericope here for us this morning and uh, depending on your version, it may have some different words, and that's okay. But just to, for us to gain some context and a, and a better understanding of why the Apostle Paul is saying this here, uh, we, uh, I will uh, help you dive a little deeper. And so Romans chapter 11 concludes Paul's discussion about God's plan for the Israelites that had begun in chapters 9 and 10. So Paul insists that though Israel as a nation has rejected Christ, a remnant of Jewish Christians exists by God's grace. God has hardened the rest in their unbelief until basically enough Gentiles have come to him through Christ. Then God will release Israel to believe in Christ and restore his covenant with her. As many individual Jews come to faith in Christ as well as a result of this. Paul stands in awe of God's vast and unknowable mind and complete ownership of all things. And with that in mind, he concludes this section here with what has become known as a poem, or or, or a hymn-like poem about about the vast unknowableness and independence of our merciful God. And we're going to pick these apart verse by verse. Starting in verse 33, what does it say? Oh, how great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decision and his ways. Have you ever thought about that? No, like really, have you ever sitting, like, sat down and, and thought about that? God's wisdom, his vast knowledge. Consider how God conceived of creating the cosmos. It's absolutely unimaginable vastness. Consider again how he invented out of, no- out of nothing, right, the basic building blocks of all creation, the atom and the molecule. He designed the, the, the micro world and then the macro world of outer space. Then he thought into being by his word light and then water and air and organic life. And then he made men and women in his image and likeness. 
the full wonder of God's gracious omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, right, is totally beyond human understanding. We like to think we can understand it. We even try it many times. It staggers even the most mature Christian's mind. Even here, the, the mind of the Apostle Paul. Having affirmed God's sovereignty and integrity and generosity. This is Paul. He has nothing more to add but a hymn of praise for the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul is like a mountain climber who has reached the summit of a great mountain, Mount Everest or whatever mountain you want to think of. Think of that. And Paul is, is, is hiking this mountain and he's about to reach the summit and he's awestruck by God's beauty and majesty unfolding all around him. He's in awe. And unable to further explain an infinite and holy God to finite sinful man, he can only acknowledge that God's judgments are untraceable and his paths beyond tracing out. So literally, God's footprints cannot be traced. This is what Paul is saying. He is mind blown by God's glory. Mind blown. It is the same idea that, it, that is expressed in Psalm. Actually, Psalm 77, verse 19. What does the psalmist write? Your path leads through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Verse 33 tells us that God's wisdom is what? Unsearchable, and his ways past finding out. And actually, if you have a New American Standard Bible translation, it uses the terms unsearchable and unfathomable. And Deuteronomy tells us, it tells us, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. God is infinite. And again, I will say it, we are just finite. And that presents a problem for us. It does. How can our limited mind discern the limitless God? It's obvious God's wisdom is unsearchable. This is why man can never have discovered God on his own. God is never found. God's wisdom and truth is beyond our reach. Thus, it has to be revealed to us. Have you ever played hide and seek? Come on, you have to, have, you have to play hide and seek. I still play hide and seek, and I'm only like uh, 12 years old. I just turned 22, by the way. I remember playing hide-and-seek as a kid. I used to absolutely love it. For one, considering my, my, my small uh, stature here, uh, where's Pastor Lee? Oh, he's not in here. Anyway, I like to compare myself to Lee. Me and him are a lot alike in our smallness. Uh, I was very good at hiding, right? I could get in the places that uh, a lot of other kids my age could not. Uh, so I was very good at hiding. I could get in... Uh, I can get to places where no one would ever find me that were very, very clever. But what really was the fun in staying hid, right? It wasn't really fun. You sat there and it's like, man, I got the greatest hiding place in the world and they ain't ever going to find me, so I might as well just come out anyway. So the fun was not in staying hid. The fun was in being found. I remember all the excitement, right, in being found. And in a similar manner, and I know every analogy has its limits, I know that, they fall apart after a while, and it's just our human analogies can always fall apart in, in describing 
a limitless God. But this simile is uh, as how our relationship with God. You don't, you don't find God. He makes himself findable. He does. Right before your eyes, he's revealed himself to us. Not only in scripture, but everywhere you look, he's revealed himself to you. Your search for God would have ended up in despair had God not chosen in his provenient grace, thank you, John Wesley, to reveal himself to you. The knowledge of God comes to us not through investigation, but through revelation. We learn of God and experience him, not because we reached up to pull him down, but it's quite the opposite. It's because he has stooped down to us. In his amazing grace, God simplifies his wisdom. God makes himself knowable through his word. God has taken his unbounded, limitless knowledge and wisdom, and he's, he's dressed it in a straitjacket of finite language and limited knowledge, uh, knowledge and logic. The passage I quoted earlier in Deuteronomy, it comes from chapter 29, verse 29, right? And we read the first part, it said, the secret things belong to the Lord. Then it ends with, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. God's wisdom is not only unsearchable, but it's also unfathomable. And the Greek word for this unfathomable means untraceable. The step God takes, the logic he uses, the grids through which he analyzes situations, they don't always show up on our radar. And we begin to question, God, why? Why now? Or why not later? Or why'd you wait so long? Believers who faithfully study God's word can learn and have a certain understanding of God's truth. Meaning that all of it is useful, right? Second Timothy, all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you get this? Our gracious God gives us the truth that we need to know him. He lays it out on a platter for us. Trust him and serve him. But no matter how diligently we may have studied his word, we must confess with David when he writes in Psalm 139, a very famous psalm. What does he say? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We have to confess with David here that such knowledge is too wonderful for us and too lofty for us to attain. Let's look further here in verses 34 and 35. What does it say? For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? So here as Paul, his praise ascends here in this doxology or in this hymn-like, in verses 34 and 35, he presents what? He presents three rhetorical questions for us. Questions that serve the purpose of exalting God and glorifying God and showing how much and showing how little we understand and how big God is. And the answer to each of these questions is an obvious 
and resounding no one. Look at it. Ask, you, ask yourself those questions. And the answer is no one. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Or who has been his counselor? No one. Or who has given to God that God should repay them? Again, no one. This is a citation, actually, from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 and 14. Where the prophet Isaiah writes, he says, Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? The fact that God is asking the question demonstrates that both questions have but one answer. Again, it's no one. It's no one. And really what I'm getting at this morning, and I want you to, to really pay attention to, to these, uh, later, these latter parts here, is that God has no counselor. No one can know the mind of God. No one can tell what God is thinking or what he is doing or planning to do even. God has no teacher. He knows already. He is all-knowing. If you haven't caught it this morning, that is our topic of this morning. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. There is nothing that God doesn't know in the world he created. From one corner of the universe to the next, he knows it. He knows every continent on the earth. And he knows every country on every continent. Of every on the earth. I said of every earth. Whoa. But again, who has known the mind of the Lord? He knows every human being. As I speak to you, approximately seven billion eight hundred and ninety million and six hundred and eighty thousand people are living on the earth right now. That number's probably changed because. I actually tried to update it last night, but it's probably changed again this morning, uh, according to the world calculator. Anyway, he knows every single one of those people. 7,890,680,000. He knows every single one of them better than we will ever, inside and out. And he loves them. He knows every detail in his creation, living and non-living, Nearly 150,000 deaths are recorded each day worldwide. God knows them. God knows them. Every grieving family across the world, God knows. You who are grieving this morning, God knows. He knows. He knows our sadness. He knows our hurts. He knows our minds and our hearts, which is a marvelous thing, but a scary thing all in one. He knows our joys, and God even knows those that fear him. But again, who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. God knows those that trust him. God knows those who believe in Jesus. God knows those who are searching and questioning about him. God knows those who are lost, those without hope. God knows them. God knows every unsaid prayer. God knows the cries of your heart. When you lie in bed at night, 
and you have no words to speak in prayer, you sit there and cry and weep. God knows it. Not only does God know it, but he hears it. And he sees it. God knows every tear and every smile. God knows the greedy and those who are hungry. And we like to look out and think, God, do you see this? Do you see the injustice taking place? He does. He knows it. God knows every need of every hour, of every minute, of every second, of every millisecond. But again, who has been his counselor? God doesn't need wisdom from anyone. Everything God does has an intelligent purpose. God knows everything in himself, his intentions, everything in creation and throughout history. He is infinitely wise. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God knows what is true, and he is the very nature of truth. So there isn't anything that God doesn't know about us. And you may ask, does God know about my sleepless nights? Does God know how anxious I am all the time? Does God know how uncertain things look for me at this moment? Does God know that people are suffering, that I'm suffering, that my family is suffering? Does God know about my mental health? Does God know the state of our nation? Does God know the state of this world? Does God know you? You who sit in your room alone. You in particular. Does God know you? Does God know me? Does he know your fears? Does he know what you desire? Does he know what you are praying for? The answer to each one of these things is yes. God knows. Debbie, God knows. Joseph, God knows. Tim, God knows. Michael Keaton, God knows. He knows. God's wisdom is beyond our comprehension. God's knowledge is beyond our comprehension. God's judgment is beyond our comprehension. And God's power is beyond our comprehension. So I want you to be encouraged this morning and that God knows. And in verse, 36, in verse 36, real quick, Paul ends with, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So he ends this praise with looking at the center of God's will. God, the deeper Paul studies the world around him, he sees God's purposes carried out in all, er- in all areas of life. God is the hub, the axis, right, in which everything else in life spins. God's prevailing presence and providence, his overarching plans, will never fail. God is all-knowing, which we have talked about this morning. He's all-powerful and he is sovereign. So I want you to be encouraged this morning. That's what it is. I want you to be encouraged this morning that God knows this pandemic that we've been in and it feels like we will never get out of. 
right? He knows its mutations. He's light years ahead of us. And right now we see what? We see in a glass dimly. We can't fathom a lot of things and we try to and we get very frustrated when we do. But God knows. So I'll end with exactly the way the Apostle Paul ends here by reciting our verses this morning. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray this morning and we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, I first thank you for uh, this privilege, Lord, and this privilege of uh, being able to present your word, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, where my words have failed, uh, Holy Spirit, you take my words and uh, you penetrate the depths of, of people's heart, Lord. And, um, and, and you convict them where they need to be convicted and you encourage them where they need to be encouraged this morning, Lord. Uh, I just pray as uh, we go out from here that uh, we are constantly reminded by uh, in every direction that we look, Lord, that you know. Not only do you know, but you know intimately every need of every hour, of every minute, of every second. You hear our cries at night, Lord. You see the struggle we have in our brains and our mental health, Lord. You, you see our depression. You see our anxiety. You see those which are lost, who are far from you, Lord. And you're calling us back to you to come before your feet and to kneel before you and worship you and be in awe of you and deny ourselves so that you may take hold of us and do with us as you would. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, there's no closing song, so I am dismissing you. Uh, so thank you very much.